Welcome to a new episode of The Grappling Arts. It's been a while, but Claire and I are back, and we hope to start bringing you new episodes on a much more regular basis. We have some fantastic guests from within the wrestling space lined up over the next few weeks, including wrestlers, academics, artists, and promoters. If you're tuning in for the first time, The Grappling Arts is a contemporary wrestling podcast that looks at wrestling through the lens of theatre and performance. We celebrate creativity and storytelling, as well as exploring the history of wrestling and wrestling culture. Today's guest is Dr. Tanisha Singleton. Tanisha is an academic and communication consultant whose practice spans sports entertainment, fandom, culture and communication. She's an expert in how to use emerging technology to tell stories, boost brands and build, and I quote, dope experiences. Tanisha is a massive wrestling fan, and despite the best efforts of wrestling legend Bob Backlund, has met her favourite wrestler, Christine Cage. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe via iTunes or Spotify. Did you, did you see the AEW this week? I say this week. It's probably last week now, actually. Um, yeah, with, the blood, blood and Guts one. Yeah, with Blood and Guts. Yeah. yeah, what did you make of that match? I, I enjoyed it. I found the commercial breaks a bit jarring. Because <laughs> I think at one point, there was a really unfortunate commercial break where it was it came back and like the whole ring had been destroyed. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like something happened here. What happened here? <laughs> I thought, yeah, it was a little bit clumsy in places, but it had a great, um, if, if, you know, if, if, if there's 10 blokes who supposedly hate each other locked in a cage, then that's the kind of yeah. way that they should go about beating each other up for, for yeah. in my mind. I agree. And I think like the, there was some real needle there, which so often is lacking in contemporary wrestling, like where you, like you just don't believe that they really hate each other. Whereas those groups, I was like, yeah, these guys actually like really hate each other. So, um, mm. yeah. Um, how is the dog? Is he okay? He's fine. He was looking <laughs> out his best friend, who is a 120 pound German shepherd. He could see him from the balcony and he was crying because he's like, why am I not out there with Luther? Why am you making me? I was like, dude, we'll be later. <laughs> he's like, but I see my friend now. So, And he's five months and he's I mean, my life's totally changed. It's it's yeah. the best thing in the world. I love it. And so, yeah, I'm just like, bro, hang on. Give me an hour. <laughs> we'll lose it. We'll be there. I swear. Just, just tell, tell him we'll wrap this up quickly. Don't worry. Yeah, I gave him a toy. And yeah, I gave him a treat. And then he's like, oh, okay. So like the good thing about puppies is like they're easily distractible. And so yeah. he's like, oh, I forgot about Luther. And now there's a treat. So <laughs> <laughs> that'll that'll hold him over for a little bit <laughs> oh that's so cool it's really cool to I, I think you guys probably haven't had any communication yet so sam this is tanisha tanisha's the sam yeah i'll do the kind of the, the proper the proper intro but i'll ask you to introduce yourself properly yeah. now like so we kind of just in this podcast we kind of just roll straight into it um seamlessly as if we're like wow. so <laughs> that's all right <laughs> good i love those are my favorite ones and that's like you know over talking like over intellect like uh what's the word i'm looking for it's still early here for me i'm like wait what's that word um over analyzing and contextualizing stuff about like we we do a lot of that (laughs) my favorite it's the best so so, um 
Yeah, so we're super glad to have um, Dr. Tanisha Singleton with us. So Tanisha is a media psychologist and sports entertainment professional, uh, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself better than I've just done there um, so that we can find out a bit more about your work and what you get up to. So yeah, over to you. Well, how would you introduce sure. yourself? Thank you. No, I, I I do that. I'll say, yeah, media psychologist. That's what my PhD is in. My background, it's, I mean... It's not too special or anything. It's I studied traditional entertainment and production. It's funny. My first dream job was I wanted to be like the female Howard Stern. I wanted to be like this crazy shock jock. And do you remember, you remember Home Alone, right? The movie. And he had that talk boy that like handheld cassette recorder thing and you could record. So I got that as a gift once for Christmas and it was my favorite toy ever. And I would just run around recording myself, interviewing my family, waking them up. I'm like, what did you take last night? And they're like, get away from me. Tanisha. <laughs> like, so I always thought like, okay, I'm going to be like this crazy shock jock, but flip it. Right. I'm going to have like a white guy in a cage. Like he had Robin and I'm going to like make fun of dudes. Like he did women all the time and just totally flip the script. Right. And so that I literally, and because I was such a pro wrestling and sports fan, I was fascinated with just storytelling. And so all of the entertainment forms, it just totally converged and collided in my young little head. And I was like, I know I'm going to be in this space some way, shape or form. So film, radio, undergrad, had radio shows um, in the Bay Area and California, went to San Diego State and for my master's, which my emphasis was in screenwriting. Um, it was funny because I thought I was gonna be like this multimedia mogul, director, writer, producer, editor, all the gaffer, everything, right? And then my, who ended up becoming my mentor, Lee Marshall um, at San Diego State, he was like, you know, you're a writer, right? Like you're just, you're a storyteller. You know that, right? So stop trying to do all the other stuff and tell stories. <laughs> and sometimes you just need that person to sit you down and be like, you know, this is your gift. This is what you were born here to do. This is, you have this gift of the gab. You can do that. So stop, you know, getting in your own way. And not to, you know, pick a lane and only do that, but really take advantage of what you're naturally given. And I was like, oh, awesome. Thank you. That made my life so much easier at the time because, you know, you stress yourself out trying to do all of that shit. So wait, can I cuss? Because that's that's going to come out. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, great. Excellent. <laughs> so then yeah, I moved should, it. should hear Claire when she gets going. Ah, good. <laughs> we will get this going. <laughs> so then I, I moved to L.A., did everything one does there in L.A. for like a dozen years, post-production, some writing, editing, just you wear all the hats in LA. And I started, social media started becoming this thing, like beyond MySpace now, this is like 2007. And but so like Twitter and Instagram, all these types of things. So I started doing some social media management for venues on Sunset, like the Viper Room, the Key Club, Hollywood, like Rainbow, all doing all of that type of stuff and staying up until like 6 a.m. and doing that over and over. And that got old quick and was like, okay, what's going on here? Like, I need to do something else. I'm kind of getting over this toxic environment and this culture. And I was bartending to make ends meet and sports though was always my pulse. That was always still my go-to, but I recognized that how I was a fan now was changing because I couldn't watch a sporting event without live tweeting it. 
I couldn't, you know, watch wrestling. I couldn't watch basketball. I couldn't watch anything without talking about it. And so I recognized that the experience of sports was changing because of the way that me sports media and storytelling was evolving. So I did this weird thing, jumped into a doctorate program, got and then after about four years, finished my PhD in media psychology. And I dedicated my dissertation to the sport experience and understanding fandom and looking at how social media and as they call it, digital disruption has impacted the sport experience and one's identity when it comes to affiliation and building communities. Um, so I'm fortunate that I've been able to do a lot of consulting now. So with brands, understanding consumer behavior, understanding how communities are developed and maintained, how digital technology can help be a utility for those types of things. Because I think the fear that a lot of people have when it comes to emerging technology and this stuff is that it's trying to replace something. It's trying to take away from humanity. It's trying to, you know, remove the human element. But what I try to emphasize to clients and stuff is that, hey, no, this is supposed to boost community. This is meant to augment, complement, supplement, and increase our human connectivity. This is supposed to help the human experience, not replace it. And companies, for some reason, still do try and almost make it like, hey, yeah, this is this really cool thing. So you don't ever have to go outside again. But it's like, listen, we're all in the people business, right? Like we forget that it sounds dumb as hell, but like people really forget. I don't care how many algorithms or spreadsheets you make with the X's and O's and all of that stuff behind there. But every single one of those values and characters is representative of a human. This is about human beings, emotive, emotional thinkers and fans. We are all fans of something. I think fans, it's, now I'm getting all over the place and I'm sure we'll talk about all this stuff. But yeah, that's that's me in a, a really bad nutshell um, yeah. in this sports entertainment space and over, you know, thinking about fandom identity and media's involvement of it. Yeah, great. I feel like there is so much we could talk about today. A, yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited this conversation. Um, so perhaps let's, let's, let's go with that kind of fan idea because mm -hmm. also, um, I, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, about being a wrestling fan and what yeah. that means to you and how you've been doing that. Um, and perhaps a little bit about that kind of intersection, particularly of like your fandom and your work. Um, so there's this really cool saying on your website. I'm going to quote you back at yourself. Which is awkward, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, where you say, never stop being a fan. You might just change the game. And I'm super interested in this intersection of fandom and your scholarship and practice. Um, I think like for Sam and I, like we would both say that that's something that we're kind of both exploring. And sometimes it's like, wonderfully joyous and sometimes it's quite tricky and so yeah. yeah so maybe you could talk about yourself as a wrestling fan and do the sports fan more generally but we'll come on to sport in a bit but like mm -hmm. about a wrestling fan and about that kind of intersection of the fandom with your work more generally sure yeah it's I mean the first things I remember as a kid were my parents were always just big general sports fans. They were kind of like the party fun house. So whenever there was a big Mike Tyson fight, like all their friends came over, like my parents would like host a pay-per-view and, you know, I'm five, six, seven running around like, ah, like people, this is awesome, you know? And I remember being so excited because I would like, I loved the attention. I loved how it made them all happy. They were all 
he's my puppy now. He's like, why are you <laughs> he like, I just was so amazed by like how everyone's attention was captivated. I mean, and this is, you know, like the eighties. So it's like one TV family room and everyone was paying to everyone was in a good mood. Everyone was happy and joyous and just talking about one singular, you know, event and the entertainment value of what was in front of them. And I was like five, six years old. And my, I have an older brother who's 10 years older than me. And I remember grabbing his tube socks and putting them over my hands as like boxing gloves. And I taped or I tied a pillow over a closet rod with like some shoestrings and made it like a punching bag and I would punch it. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, go Toonie, go Toonie. Cause I would just was like, yeah, people are paying attention. This is awesome. This is fun. It's performance, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> what Cleo? <laughs> so <laughs> my brother loved pro wrestling. Cause you know, he was like 15, I was five. And so, you know, ultimate warrior, this is the, the mid eighties. So it's like ultimate warrior, dusty Rhodes, Coco beware, JYD, like all this, you know, macho man, obviously Hulk Hogan. And what five-year-old doesn't think that's crack, right? Like when <laughs> ultimate warrior comes out with streamers on his biceps and he runs like super damn fast into the ring. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> like, it was amazing. So I was hooked instantly, instantly. And for me, it was just, it's obviously for a child, it's just so captivating, but it never, I never really grew out of that because of the storytelling aspect. And I was just always a fan. And I always remembered how, if it was a boxing fight, or if it was my folks watching the Lakers or looking at the Super Bowl on Sundays, just the sport experience was just something that was way representative of something greater than just the event, just the game. And when I started thinking about that more scholarly, that was something that I led my dissertation with. I was like, yeah, the sport experience is so much greater than the game. It's not about the box score. It's not about the stats. I mean, this, what, uh, the Super Bowl is, what, three hours a year? <laughs> but we have all of this stuff. I mean, ESPN is 24-7. It didn't become a 24-7 channel until like the 70s. But when I looked at the evolution of sports media consumption, which was something that I started looking at and doing my lit review, we go back to 1800 for, I think it was a college football game between like Missouri and Kansas. It was transmitted through Western Union Telegram. And then like in the 1900s, it was like the first radio broadcast was a boxing fight, right? And then we get obviously the Olympics in 36 on TV, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, I think it was a college baseball game that was the first um, color televised television or sports broadcast. And then we get, you know, ESPN being 24 seven and then we get social media and then we get virtual reality. And so it's like looking at that whole evolution because from the psychology standpoint, I was always fascinated and like, okay, what are those patterns between media consumption and human behavior, right? Mm -hmm. So as what what am I putting in and how does that influence what I put out, right? Mm -hmm. And so looking at that whole trajectory of media in general, that whole industry and how sports really has a head seat at the table when it comes to like, in media innovation and like how things are packaged and put together. And I'm sure we'll talk about that because that is so mm-hmm. pro wrestling. Um, it, you can see that it's like a very lean in experience. Fans want to get, people want to be closer to the game. That's mm-hmm. all that stuff is saying. 
from newspapers to radio to like TV. It's like, no, I want to see it. Now I want to see it in color. Now I want to see it in 4K. Now I want to like wear it. Now I want to be able to see it now. Like it's literally us. It's illustrative of us wanting to be closer, more in. It's not as much of a passive experience. It's Mm -hmm. more of a lean forward experience. And so I think when I wrote, you know, never stop being a fan, you just might change the game. We should be fans of the things that we do for a living one. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I mean, I've had horrible jobs before and I was like, well, this sucks. <laughs> like, I want to believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. I think fans, fandom is passion. And so if we are passionate about what we're doing, we can be innovators because I think we far too often as professionals and scholars in whatever industry makes it too complicated sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, just remember what, who, again, that whole people business thing, like, who are you making this for? Who are you trying to have buy-in, right? Like, and so if you think of it as how would you want to be sold in, in bad terms? Like, or how would you want to be talked, marketed towards? Or like, what would you do? Like, how, why would you buy this? Would you buy this? If you wouldn't, well, then shit, maybe start over, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so if you can, because I think innovation is really, it's, it's solutions. It's recognizing a problem and doing something to fix it. That's innovation. It's not, you know, test tubes and beakers with like blue liquid and smoke coming out of things and like wires all over the place. Like it does not have to be, you know, some scene from Frankenstein. Like innovation is seeing a problem and doing something to fix it. And that is innovation because it's something new. It's new. And so, and if we look at it from an affiliation standpoint, from value, from passion, those are all things that I use to define fandom. So we should start reminding ourselves to be fans of things. And then just, you know, tangentially, it's like, shit, stuff is hard outside. It's rough outside for a lot of us. God forbid we do some, do something joyous again and live a little and be fans. It just, it might make the day a little bit more pleasant to get through. I, I love this idea that actually it, that, that that position of fandom is actually absolutely vital to how you approach things. It's not like mm-hmm. the kind of, oh, I have to somehow escape my fandom or I'm a little bit embarrassed about it or whatever. It's yeah. just like, this is, this is the approach I take. It has to be there. Otherwise, I, my whole, the whole everything yeah. that I do is unimportant if I don't approach it as a fan. Yeah. As my puppy is underneath me eating my Ric Flair pop. Like, he's like, give it to me. He's like, give it back. Like, he stole. I was like, bro, that was a collectible. And he just totally took it. But, not his. but you're right, because I think, I mean, personality types are different. You know, I was, I'm very, very fortunate. My family is my biggest cheering fan. They, I mean, totally supporting me in everything. And despite what, cultural tropes and social narratives are going on and stuff like all oh, black girls watching wrestling and like what is that like why it's like they didn't care they were just like if you like this do it and you know going through tomboy phases or cutting your hair or dyeing it or piercings whatever they were just like as long as you're not hurting anybody if you're having fun fine do it do whatever you want so when i was wearing dx shirts to, to class and getting sense of detention because it had suck it on the back or because i wanted to wear a you know hardy boy shirt or an nwo or austin or anything like that they were just like yeah here here's 20 dollars. go get whatever the hell you want i don't care like they were just like yeah 
my daughter wants to go fly to Houston, Texas to see WrestleMania 17. My kid's whacked, fine. But, you know, she's a good kid, which I did. They, they, it's, they supported me. And so I had this high level of confidence where when people, when kids would want to, I mean, not bully, but just be like, oh, you really like wrestling, huh? And I'm like, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, like, so I didn't have a problem speaking up about that because I have that level of confidence. But I understand that there are many that don't. Some are much more shy. Some are much more, you know, reserved and internal and, and might feel bad about it. And so that's what I think a benefit of social media and digital communities are because we can create spaces where people can feel more empowered by being affiliated with something that will support you and have your back and stand up for you when you can't stand up for yourself. And of course, we all know that there's negative spaces and there's negative shit all the time in social media, but there is some good. There is some good because there's negative shit outside too. What are we going to do? <laughs> it's everywhere yeah. because there's people. It's going to follow us regardless. So it's not a social media problem. It's a human problem. So stop throwing it on the social media because that's easy to do that. It's easy to identify. No, it's problem because everybody's on the internet. Oh, so everyone's on the internet, right? So that means people. So maybe it's the people that are translating the problems and not the utility or the tool itself. Mm. It's easy because to fix problems means we have to look internally. We got to start doing our own little self audit. And that's hard. That's hard work. It's easier to blame something that can't talk back yeah. like technology. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely true that like, you know, the wrestling kind of online community is can be can be kind of eye-wateringly toxic, but can also be really like supportive and and kind of warm-hearted mm -hmm. as well. So uh, yeah, and I mean some of the best friends that I've made now I still haven't even met. Like you yeah. guys, right? Like people yeah. I talk to regularly online that I know every Wednesday when AEW is on or when WrestleMania is on and I can use this hashtag and I know so-and-so is going to be following it. And I'm like, hey, there you are. Like, it's fun, right? Yeah. It's just created so much opportunity. Which kind of like harks back to when you were talking about your earliest experiences of watching sport with your family, that everyone gathered around the TV. Still, yeah. that sort of translates into social media a little bit. Totally, because I know everyone's at the same place at the same time. We're sharing something at the exact same time. We're all watching minus a few seconds of lag or whatever. We're all seeing, we're experiencing the same thing. So there's something about that. I mean, that's why we even started doing like reaction cameras, right? Like when I'm watching UFC now, they have the camera in front of DC and Rogan and John Anik because when somebody gets knocked out, we want to see, ah! We want to see like what their reaction was like, because it's probably very similar to the one that we had live watching it. It's something shared. It's all emotive. Like, oh, my God, I felt that, too. Yeah. Those things mean something to people, to us. Mm -hmm. It does, because when we, it's shit, that's what community is about. It's about a shared experience, like mm -hmm. something that is of value and something that can be really, really cool. And it's one of those like remember when. I mean, there's in wrestling and in, in all sports, really, there are those moments where you know where you were when you saw this, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. I, there's so many that I have with wrestling and it's, it's great because those things are fan driven, 
those and that that fan driven stuff is what now starts to inform and change the industry like that's why we now start doing reaction cameras right Mm -hmm. remember that little girl who was pissed when randy orton won and she was like (laughs) or the the undertaker guy when he lost at wrestlemania like he's got a fucking career because he had a reaction camera, you know so it's those things inform fans inform the industry they make change they drive this culture and so it behooves us to, you know, give a little bit more respect to fans and give them tips to, you know, try and help regulate to get rid of the toxicity. Because like any community, you got to regulate it from within. You know, you got to check ourselves and check each other. If you see something, say something. Yeah. It's yeah. like that kind of like internal caucus, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's really cool. I, I have never thought about that, like drawing around the telly thing that you had when yeah. you were here next to social media but of course that's absolutely true um so i wondered if like um we can go from there i, I wonder if you have like a favorite match match or feud story character from I, this is a difficult question to ask any wrestling fan because we could be here for the like yeah. <laughs> the rest of the week but um but yeah do you have do you have kind of a favorite time period of wrestling or a favorite character or a favorite feud or things that have stuck with you you talk about like these moments that are kind of all shared so so what, what is a couple of those for you Oh gosh. Yeah. There's one that's, it's, it's funny. And, um, oh yeah. Cause I have so, so, so many, so many, but Cleo, wow. We'll go out a second. Um, I remember I was at the first ever fan access festival in Anaheim, California. It was, it was called the pond back then. Now it's called like the Honda center or whatever. Like I still call it the pond, like whatever. Um, and so it was WrestleMania 16, and they had like the whole fan festival thing. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I went with a couple of, with a friend and walking around, it was the first time they ever did that stuff. And I was like, oh wow, this is great. And getting to take pictures and autographs and sign all that stuff. And at the time, like I was a giant edging Christian fan and the tag team division, like that was, you know, for the late nineties, this is like 2000. Um, yeah, WrestleMania 16 was like the WrestleMania 2000. So it was that whole year and in March. And I remember, and there was, I didn't have a pager, a cell phone. Like it was that era still, right? So there was no agenda. No one knew what the hell to expect. So I'm just walking around. There's a giant life-size cutout of Andre the Giant that I have a picture of me standing next to over there. And there's like Undertaker's walking around and just all these celebrities. I was like, this is awesome. So they had a ring inside where they were doing dark matches. And so I'm just standing around kind of watching. And all of a sudden I see Christian walk by. And I was like, Christian! Like I just screamed bloody I'm like, Christian, Christian! And so he looks up, he turns around and I'm like waving at him. And he's like, hi. And he looks like he's about to walk over. And then Bob Backlund out of nowhere comes up and like just totally cock blocks me. And this is his, <laughs> this is that moment where Bob, where Bob in wrestling was kind of like that, that he was just annoying and he would like yell at fans and he would just be interrupt people and stuff. So he just started cutting a promo on me, like to do his whole gimmick, like you need to learn some respect and you're yelling too much and blah, blah, blah with his bow tie and red face. And I was just like, if you don't get out of my way, Christian is over. And so like the cameras went on me, it was this whole big thing and he's laughing and breaking care. Cause it was just funny that like, you know, I'm going back at him. Cause I was like legit hot. Like I was like, yo, I'm trying to talk to Christian right now. And I, and he's breaking character. He was like, thanks kid. And like, just smacked me on the shoulder and kept walking. And I was like, Ugh. and I turned around and Christian's gone. And I was like, God 
Jim. <laughs> like I was so upset. So cut to a couple months later or whatever, I stayed home from school shock. And I think it was like a Dave Metzler radio show, or I don't know which, which one it was. And I didn't know if it was even live. This is like dial up internet. And Christian is being interviewed on some show. So I was like, uh, eh, it can't hurt. I dial in. I fucking got through. It was live. And I was like, ha! Ah! And they're like, what do you want to ask Christian? And I was like, um, how do you feel about the next table there? Some or something. I don't know. They're like, okay, hold on. So they put me through and they're like, oh, we have Tanisha from Riverside, California. And I was like, oh. <laughs> go back at Access and Fan Festival. I was trying to meet you, but Bob Backlund totally got in my way. And I wanted to meet you so bad because you're my favorite wrestler. And then he's just is laughing. And then he was like, that sounds like something Bob would do. And I was like, yeah, right. He's a dick. And he's like, totally a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, and he was like, well, you know what? I'll be at WrestleMania 17 in Houston. I'd love to meet you there. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I was like, okay, do you have a question? I'm like, no, no, that's cool. I'll see you in Texas. He's like, okay, bye. Hung up. So then I'm like, mom, <laughs> I just talked to Christian. He says I, he wants to meet me. I have to go to WrestleMania 17. It's in Houston. She was like, kid. I was like, no, you don't understand. I just got off the phone with him. He wants to meet me. She buys me a ticket. She flies with me from California to Houston. I'm on a mission to meet Christian. And we, and this, this is now the second one. It's in the Astrodome of Houston, Texas. Get a hotel, running around. I'm seeing a big show in a hotel in an elevator. I'm like, da, da, da. I'm like, I'm 16 years old, cut to like backdrop. And so I'm running around. I'm like, where the hell is Christian? I finally see Edge and Christian at a table. So I'm jumping in line, I'm cutting. I finally get up there and this is like the yellow Kodak wind up camera day still. Right. Like nothing great. And so this is the second one. So they had like a little bit more management. So they were having security guards take all the pictures to try and like get the line moving. So I gave my little wind up guy to the security guard and I was like, Hey Christian, it's me. And he was like, hi. And I was like, remember me? Like, I talked to you on the phone like eight months ago about how Bob Backlund did. Like, he totally caught and I couldn't meet you back in Texas, but we're in California. But I flew from California and I'm here now. And he was like, oh, yeah, cool. Nice. Thanks for coming. Autograph. And he's like, cool. You having fun? I'm like, yeah, I'm having so much fun. He's like, cool. You want a picture? I'm like, yeah. And so I get down. The guy didn't even wait for me to like bend over. He just clicked it and gave it to me. And he was like, move on. And I was like, no, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. And so you can't see the picture to like, see if it was, you know, selfies, whatever. Uh -huh. And they're like, no, move on. He was like, nice to meet you. And I was like, wait, wait. And like totally moved <laughs> me on. So I was like, at least I got to meet Christian. I got his autograph. So then, you know, you take it to CVS. I get the pictures developed and he's looking perfectly in the camera because he's a pro and I'm looking over here like, duh. And it's the worst <laughs> picture in my entire life. And that's my only picture with Christian. And I was like, damn it. So... <laughs> That's always something that I think about. And Christian to me is still in one of my top five to 10. I love him. I'll always love him. I, he's the nicest. You know what? There's no way in hell he remembered me, but he lied to my face and I love him for it. Cause he made me feel, he made me feel like I mattered. He yeah. made, there's no damn way he, he remembered that. But he made me feel special in that 90 second interaction. As, and I'll, always love and respect him for that he made me feel awesome and it was funny and he needs to be in the hall of fame like yesterday yeah yeah that's right that's, that's so that's, that's always really one of my cool. favorites what, what are you making this is, yeah auxiliary question what are you making of his time in aw at i like it like right. i was kind of like uh I, I want him to be able i think all athletes should be able to go out the way they want 
And so for him, I was like, yeah, do it. I, I mean, his push or lack thereof in WWE as a singles competitor, you know, it could have been so much greater. Um, there were a couple moments where we thought it was going to happen. I remember when he, um, you know, got with Trish Stratus for a second um, and then test and, and all of that stuff. And, but I actually, I like what he's doing with AEW. I love it. And I think it'll help them as a company with his own just, brilliance and so i don't know if he's going to start doing like agent stuff and producing matches i hope so because i know he's such a damn storyteller and he gets it in and out of all aspects of of performing so i love it and i think you know people should go out on how they want to so i hope he gets the the i hope he gets what he wants out of it yeah cool i'm always just happy to see it and when i was like ah like i just started marking out again because he's one of those that i'll just instantly eh, fangirl for forever <laughs> that's really cool i'll um, show you the picture where i'm looking oh yeah he's totally. looking perfect and i'm like <laughs> i have loads of photographs like that by yeah. the way so like <laughs> with various sporting people over the years like we just play these stupid faces they look yeah. like pro looking like straight into the camera and i just look ridiculous <laughs> so i have loads of those um so i i wonder if like so one of the things that i really um really stood out for me about about all of your work actually is something that kind of brought a lot of it together was that um your kind of commitment to empowering underrepresented groups and amplifying um, particularly voices of color, but voice, mm-hmm. but, but all voices that are kind of underrepresented. Sure. Um, and I wondered how that sat with kind of the history of wrestling in, especially maybe in relation to race and gender. It's like, I don't need to tell you, deeply problematic mm-hmm. uh, in many ways. And I wondered how those things sort of sat together for you. Um, yeah, how, how you deal with all that. Yeah, I really am. Um... I, I love how we're having these conversations now because back in the day, like, it, it wasn't. And that was always something where that came up when people like, well, why are you a fan? Like, it's clearly not for you. <laughs> right. And that's, it's kind of like, that makes me sad to even think about where something that is produced is just entertainment. Some people understand is being meant for some and not others. Like, seriously, like I'm not allowed to like, a hell in the cell match because you know like or i'm not meant to be entertained like why is that a right like why is that a that can't be granted and given away like that's you know but it's just reflective of everything in 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 our society right now and so having these conversations about it is super important and i'm glad that it's starting to change and plant those seeds and because i remember as a kid and thinking back like okay well, well who are the only like black, let alone, I mean, not even just black female, but just black characters or performers or entertainers and, you know, Junkyard Dog, BYD or JYD and like Coco Beware, uh, you know, Ron Simmons, obviously like Rocky Johnson, like as a kid. But I remember loving Dusty Rhodes because he had Sapphire come out with him. And I remember Sapphire and she was the first one that, you know, reminded me of someone from my family, right? And like the way they always danced and the way that he always praised her and talked about her and she was always there, those big notable moments. So I was a giant Dusty Rhodes fan just out of the sheer presence of a black woman and being in that space and being shown as happy, being shown having fun, dancing with Dusty, right? And the American dream and, so 
it was funny. I was talking to a friend of mine and a colleague who wrote a book called Why We Fight. His name is Josh Rosenblatt. And it's mostly thinking about like MMA and combat sports. But when I had him on my podcast, he was talking about like, he was asking me about like my wrestling fandom and what I thought, because it's like, it's interesting that we can make a space for us out of something that wasn't intended for us, right? Mm -hmm. Under that kind, that kind of guise. And it's like, it goes back to some several old quotes, you know, about joy as a radical act for black women, because <laughs> there's enough out there to discourage and try and dismantle our well-being that to be happy in spite of all the things and obstacles and hurdles, that is radical by sheer definition. And so it's great to see Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. And I watched it and I didn't really care that much about WrestleMania. I haven't watched as diehard, obviously. Um, but I was like, I'm not going to miss this. I know that. <laughs> I was like, I know that eight-year-old me would have been a hell of a lot more. I mean, I was already pretty a big fan, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't have had my fandom questioned if things like that were regularly produced. And so I watched a little tear came out at that moment when they both just stood there and acknowledged each other when the bell rang and they both knew they're like, and you could see it in Bianca's face. Like she was just like, yeah, fuck. Oh my God. Like weeping. Right. And so I was just like, hell yeah. I nodded on the couch with, I was like, I felt like it was a three-way. I was like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, but it's one of those things like, yep, it's time to do it now. Show out, you know, show up and show out. And so it was huge, monumental. And, obviously women in sports at all levels from professional to actually athletes is something, you know, a big topic that everybody's talking about, I think around the world and pro wrestling, this space is no different. And I think so many industries now you've probably seen in my tweets. I tweet all the time. Like everything is pro wrestling because we see so many times now where reality is stranger than fiction. And we see how, you know, uh, there's some great folks on Twitter, like Randy Cruz, who like will take something from traditional sports or just in life and then retweet it with like a Ric Flair promo or an NWO something, something or a shirt or a saying. And it's like, yep, just like that. It's the same because it is that mirror of society. It's a, it's a social listening vessel. Really what's going on there can be demonstrated in the ring and through character and it's so important because, yeah, that needs to happen for for people of color. That needs to happen because representation matters. I mean, that's I even it said so much. I hate even saying it again. But damn, it's if it ain't true, because even, you know, linking in academia, it's like I don't know if you've heard me say this before. I've said it on a couple other podcasts and interviews. But so with my Ph.D., it's 22 years of school, right? K through 12 undergrad master's doctorate, 22 years I've been in school. I've had three black teachers my entire life. Four, if you include my kindergarten teacher, Miss Mitchell. So let's include Miss Mitchell. Four. Miss Mitchell, a high school college prep teacher, and then two in undergrad, Dr. Angela Davis, legend, and Dr. Trisha Rose. And that's it. None in grad school, none in, in under or for my doctorate. But what that made me realize and the pandemic. I realized it during the pandemic, or we're still in it, but in the early moments of it was that 
it's funny that it took the absence of sport for people to realize how essential it is. Mm-hmm. And because of the conversations that happen and the, the, and the prompts to have social conversations in it because sports and society are intersected, like miss me with that shut up and dribble stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wish, I've seen a lot of people say this, but it got recycled and, and resurgenced um, in the last, you know, because Black Lives Matter and stuff over the last year is that I wish America loved Black people the way they love Black culture. Mm-hmm. And I recognized within myself that I love sports and entertainment so damn much. I realized a part of the reason why is because this is the only space where I can go regularly to see someone who looks like me succeed. Athletes, musicians, entertainers, black professionals in that space are always celebrated and just routinely, you know, praised and and applauded. Outside of that, where else can you see somebody black praised and stuff like that? It wasn't until, you know, we just got Vice President Kamala Harris. Like that wasn't even something I thought, you know, so those are those types of conversations now where we're starting to change. I didn't watch tennis until Serena. I didn't know what a birdie was prior to Tiger. I didn't know those things. Uh, I never watched gymnastics before, like, you know, Simone. I watched track and field because Flojo is awesome, was awesome. I watched, you know, boxing, combat sports, all of that stuff. And it, I realized, I was like, wow, this is because they, I relate. It's representative. And so I'm seeing pro wrestling finally try and catch up is something that is long overdue. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I don't know if you've been watching this, um, the series, um, Fran Leibovitz's um, um, series on uh, on Netflix. They, she's doing kind of half hour interview, quite funny things. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, but like she, um, she was interviewed by Spike Lee, and they were having a conversation about sports, and um, and and um, she was like, oh, "I hate sports; it's terrible." And Spike Lee is like, "Do you not understand the importance of sport for like, like people of color and for Black Americans? Because mm-hmm. that's where that's the only space that I mean, obviously is like Spike Lee's a huge basketball fan, mm-hmm. and um, and I was just really struck by that because of course, like yeah. it's exactly what you're saying, this is a space of excellence for mm-hmm. for people of color, and therefore actually yes. sport means much more than sport. And, and I was really struck by how he put that. So yeah, it's so yeah. true. I got to look that up. That's so true. Yeah, it was it was it was really it was really great. Um, maybe maybe we can talk a little about yeah. these, the matches. So like um. Uh, I, I'm gonna. Sam's watched them more recently than I have. So I've only so seen Sam, it once. Sam, did you have some thoughts about maybe about the ballet and bags, but also about um, I, you know, thinking about kind of women's wrestling as well uh, mm-hmm. as um, as Banks, but and thinking about Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa and so and that kind of wonderful AEW match, which just sort of stayed with me as I think at the moment it's my match of the year. Um, so Sam, you've watched them more recently than I have, so I'm gonna just go. Sam, did you have any thoughts about these matches mm-hmm. before we turn it over to Tanisha and 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 I'll let her sort of share some thoughts with? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I watched them this morning. So I watched both of them this morning. And I watched um, the Britt Baker one, Thunder Rosa match first, and then I watched the WrestleMania match. Um, Yeah, I think my overall impression was just how, not just the fact that there is now so much women's wrestling on mainstream, you know, television companies, but also like just how good it is as well. Yeah. Like 
I think my favorite matches from those, and I don't watch a, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't watch a huge amount of WWE. I don't watch a huge amount of AEW. But I think like probably my top six matches in the last couple of years have been women's matches. Mm. Um, and 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 that's not. Um, it's it's. I think it's reached a point, especially in WWE, where it's just. Um, it's not even a kind of thought that oh, this is the this is the women's match because there's just so much like the yeah. quantity, and it really does make a difference. I think when you have, when you have that much quantity of women's wrestling, you're going to get really excellent matches because they've got mm-hmm. so many, so much talent, so many opportunities for that for that talent to work together in different ways and learn off each other. And the growth of the pool over the last three or four years means that you get these fantastic WrestleMania main event matches. And it's yeah. like, and, and now it's like, oh, it's, it's not a huge deal. It was a huge deal in terms of representation of people of color, but it wasn't a huge deal that it was a women's, mm-hmm. two women, you know, main event in WrestleMania, which is, the, it says a huge amount, I think, for, for progress. Um, mm-hmm. From a storytelling perspective, um, the Britt Baker Thunderosa match was probably my third match. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just had, and this is this is maybe an interesting point, and um, maybe we could talk about the differences between the presentation of AEW and the presentation of WWE. Because um, I thought the AEW match just had a more of a kind of authenticity. It was a little bit, um, and I mean this in a kind of wrestling sense. The WWE match had all of the things that make WWE matches great, and it was a little bit. I could see the planning process a lot more in that match. I could see, okay, this is how they've gone from A to B to C, and this is the reaction that they're they're trying to get through that. Whereas Thunderosa and and Britt Baker, maybe because of the kind of violence, the extra kind of layer of violence, it just looked like a like a horrible fight, like a really (laughs) kind of nasty, nasty fight um, between two people that just didn't like each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a great point. It's a great point. And I love both of those matches. I haven't rewatched them um, other than when I just saw them live mm-hmm. at the time. But yeah, you're right. The Bel Air Blank or Banks was that, yeah, that was a a very textbook how to template to put on a hell of a fucking match, mm-hmm. right? And so it is that type of mainstream textbook, like go out there and just do it right where it still had spots. And you can see if you're if you've been watching for a while, you can see the progression, like you said, of like how things are connected and leading up to um, while the, you know, um, Brit and Thunder Rosa was just like collision trains colliding and given yeah, to the, the gimmick of the match, you know, will afford certain you know, what you're able to do in terms of story performance. But you're right. The, it definitely, these are progressive moments. They're fantastic. Britt is one of my favorite wrestlers, period, right now, male or female. Like, she's just so fucking funny. <laughs> and I just like that type of heel and just that, because I wasn't familiar with her prior to AEW. Um, didn't know anything about her. Didn't know her old man, you know, <laughs> from in, in NXT and stuff. And I was just like, oh, okay. So, but then slowly but surely just seeing this kind of like, I'm a role model, I'm a dentist and just like all of this stuff. And it was those, those, um, those those vignettes that she made with who's her crutch sidekick yeah yeah what's her I'm, name um is it rebel yeah yeah. yeah 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 so when she, they were doing those vignettes when she was like in the in her doctor's office or something and she just kept saying like no cut okay i need you to do this a little bit better like fix my makeup and just that whole 
it was just hilarious. I was like, oh, this chick knows how to talk. Yeah. This she knows yeah. how she's she knows she's a performer. And I love to at the time because of no fans and 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 COVID that they AEW allowed just the wrestlers to fill the the ringside area. And they had the good guys on one side and the bad guys on the other. And I actually loved that. I thought they put out the best wrestling content weekly over WWE because of that. I hate the fucking Thunderdome Zoom cameras all over the place. Like that just looks like shit to me. And that's probably why like, I don't watch right now. Like it just drives me nuts. Like I'll just follow along on Twitter. And when somebody says like, oh, this is really cool. I'll just look at that on my phone, but I'm not watching weekly. I watch AEW more regularly than I do WWE. Um, but when they had in the early, you know, last year because of COVID, when they had like the, the, the crew, the roster on the floor doing ringside and like still being able to talk shit and stay like in character that way, I love that because I remember Britt being down there and still just being a heel and just having fun. Like you couldn't see that extra, just winging it improv personality where like mm -hmm. the camera would go up to her and there would be like, you know, Cody Rose and she would just be like, boo. <laughs> just like, this shit is just funny to me. And like, I was like, I fucking get it. And then, I mean, then on top of it, she's an awesome performer. She yeah. works. She's just fucking great. And so, and all of that, you know, some of those spots you can't, plan right like when becky got her nose broke from naya and then she did the whole stone cold kind of thing from the crowd like nobody knew she was gonna get her nose snapped and like have that bloody moment that ended up you know really launching her into winning in that first female main event at wrestlemania right with ronda and and charlotte um, I think kind of similarly that moment happened for Britain that match when she had, was all bloody and then they all like an hour later the t-shirts were out right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with her bloody face like role model and she was just like smiling with her tooth all fucked up and I was like oh this girl yes so I just I love I love both of I, I love how both are, are really in, illustrating and pushing women's wrestling period mm. my only gripe with AEW in terms of the women's division is that damn belt it's fucking ugly it looks like a toe ring. It looks like a toe ring. I tweet them almost every week. Like, are we still using this toe ring for a belt? It's ugly. I get, I mean, they've changed the TNT title. They've changed. So it's like, anybody going to say something? Like, why is the women's title something from Claire's jewelry in the mall? It literally is ugly. And somebody like from Catch Wrestling, that account, I shout out to Catch Wrestling because they, I, I love that guy. Um, and they put out some awesome, awesome regular curated, you know, wrestling content. Um, and he was like, look, see, it's a throwback to like all these women's titles. And I was like, I don't care. Like it was great to you, fine. But we've changed the TNT title because it was ugly. So can we upgrade the women's title now? Like even what's her name? Who's like the smallest on the roster. It could barely fit her. Let alone, you know, like Nyla or, you know, my thigh. Like, can we change that belt? It's ugly. And I will say it every Wednesday until we do. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing, I had a kind of a, an unusual one where I saw Britt Baker live for the first time. Ring, Ooh. Ring of Honor ring, but like oh. in, a, in a random event in Columbus, Ohio, that I happened to just stumble my way into as you do. Oh, man. So I, I, remember, I kind of half remembered her from that when she came into... Um, AW, but I, I too have been really, really impressed by yeah, her. Yeah, I didn't know anything it's about her have, prior. 
yeah it's great to have these cool women I'm mm-hmm. um, sorry I wondered if you going from there thinking about kind of women's wrestling I wonder if you had any opinion about so Sam and I were talking about this before and we can't think of a better word to describe it so you know kind of shout out to Charlie Evans who's going to be going for goodness sake don't use that word but I don't know how <laughs> else to say it so um if you have an opinion on intergender wrestling so um uh, so at resurgence the current champ at resurgence is is the wonderful Charlie Evans and um and she she won the belt, um, and we have one belt, so that mm-hmm. just makes and um, and so yeah. So I wondered if you had any opinions about about intergender wrestling and how it how it performs and what what you make of it. Yeah, I like it. I don't hate it. I, I it makes me. I don't. I've always been a fan of it when I see it, and it's. I remember like the wow damn i think i even remember like before like the sable and mark marrow versus you know like that from like the 90s but i'm thinking like i remember like i think it was miss elizabeth like when she it wasn't even a a real match but it was just even miss elizabeth i mean her name was miss elizabeth she was like all dainty and like princessy and like she would come in and like slap somebody like roddy piper or whatever for like messing with Hulk Hogan, and it was like oh like so excuse me Excuse me, but so seeing even women getting involved in that aspect with the men, I loved it. I was just like, yes, go girl, you got this. So even now, how that kind of evolved with like the Sable, Mark Marrow, and then obviously Lita and the Hardys doing like three ways there with like Trish and the and Edge and Christian or whatever. I liked it. And so I'm not, I'm not even opposed, I'm not opposed to it at all. I think yeah, I wouldn't know a better word for it. Just like mixed tag. That's the only other thing I, I hear all the time is is maybe mixed tag. I think when booked and done properly, it's it's great. It's really, really great. Cause I think, yeah, it just shows more like opportunity and it's showing kind of skill. And I think pro wrestling is probably the only space off the top of my head that could probably do that where, you know, I remember Rhonda and, and Triple H was going at it at WrestleMania. Remember, like even before, like when it was, yeah, Hunter and Steph and it was against, what was it? The Rock and, and Rhonda? Yeah, yeah I forgot who her partner was in that match. Mm. This is before like she even came yeah, yeah. like full time. Yeah, so yeah and she fireman carried you know triple h and like slammed him down and picked him up and i was like ah like so it was great like nobody was complaining right like so pro like a woman punching a man a man like slapping a woman and fighting a woman and that that this space because we know it's performance it's entertainment it's scripted that we can get away with that um so yeah i think it's i think it's a cool space especially just when done and booked kind of properly i mean because I mean, we all remember the Dudley boys, you know, throwing uh, Mae Young into some tables, you know, and like these I aren't matches. Recently. So like, I agree, like, yeah, <laughs> uh, because like pandemic, I'm rewatching loads yeah. of wrestling recently. Yeah. And um, I, we actually rewatched that spot recently. Like, it is <laughs> it's crazy, horrendous. right? Power bombed <laughs> Mae Young like off a of stage into some tables. And I was like, go May, like, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, or Randy Orton RKOing Stacy Keebler and, and or Alexa just stuff like that. I'm like, ah, fine, it's entertainment. Let's do yeah. this. Why not? You know. And so if, if we if folks wanted or if an organization wanted to make that its own title, like a mixed tag championship, cool. I mean, we started playing with it a little bit when WWE did the before the pandemic. The 
what, what was that thing called? It was like, they did it after where the fans would vote and it was like Braun Strowman and Alexa Bliss, remember? Oh, okay, and then yeah. like, were the, I forgot what they called that. I know it what was you mean. Fun. Yeah, it was. It was fun. It was like, it was an intergender, social yeah. media driven kind of thing. And they made for some fun, some fun promos and some fun spots and matches. Like it was, I remember Charlotte and, and AJ Styles was a team and uh, it's just, it was great for character and stuff. And so I just like seeing that type of stuff. I think it's fun. Yeah. I wonder um, another way of thinking about that kind of question about intergender wrestling is, is kind of um, whether you consider all wrestling to be you know, wrestling to be wrestling regardless of gender. Um, so a women's wrestling match, a men's wrestling match, there's no, there yeah. shouldn't be any necessarily any difference in the way it's presented or the story told or whatever. Or to what extent do you think that there's, that, that wrestling's capable of being um, complicated enough to allow for things like gender identity to be expressed in the storytelling? So like, it's, you know, Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker, um, Bianca Blair, Sasha Banks, you know, are, there, are those stories that only they're capable of telling or can, you know, because I've heard this argument that kind of wrestling's wrestling. Um, but yeah, I wonder where you sit on that sort of divide. That's a good question. And I, I, I'm glad you framed it that way because that perspective, it's, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I remember when China was the Intercontinental Champion and that was awesome. That was welcomed. That wasn't even questioned. I remember at the time, I mean, granted, there wasn't, you know, social media and rap sheets and reports to the extent that we have now, but I remember not hearing a lot of complaints at all when she was fighting men and in regular matches and no one was, no one was complaining. And the commentary I remember was just still very calling a wrestling match. It wasn't anything, it wasn't branded around being an intergender male versus female match. It's competitor versus competitor. Mm. So I think this is, I, I, make, I think this is even greater climate and time to do that now, as opposed to it was in the 90s and early 2000s um, when China was doing that. I remember, I think Jazz might've even done that a little bit um, back then. Who's another awesome performer? Um, still, still wrestling. Still, well, yeah, yeah, I think she's this. Is, she's calling this her retirement tour. I think with the <laughs> the shaved head and stuff. And I'm like, no, keep going. But I, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but I definitely think like, yeah, this time would over any would I think is one where that can where we can get to a wrestler versus wrestler thing because the other thing I think too is important. It doesn't have to be for everyone. It doesn't mean every female has to be fighting men you can still go for just the women's title be in that division so it's not it doesn't ha it's not it's not something that has to be forced you know and so i think that's when authenticity becomes kind of tricky and a thing because if we're forcing now women to you know and we're now rosters and top tens um and or just be or just everyone as opposed to being divided men's and women's then yeah that's it anything forced is always going to be problematic so mm -hmm. i think yeah if it's one of those things where it's like yeah or if like a jordan grace like wants to be in both and challenge men too and it's like okay cool or but 
how it's packaged, how that's done and branded uh, needs to be thought out, you know? Which I think maybe leads us on to um, kind of a term that we've been playing around with throughout this whole conversation, which is around storytelling. And I imagine that Sam has a million things to say about storytelling. Yeah. But, um, so if storytelling, like looking through all your materials and, and kind of listening in on interviews with you and things, storytelling seems to be one of those things that connects a lot of what you're interested in. Um, particularly I suppose your your approach and appreciation of wrestling but also everything else that you're working yeah. in so um yeah I'm sure Sam has a million questions about this but I'll, I'll I'll maybe take chair's privilege of asking the first which is maybe you can um maybe just explain why you think this is a concept that draws together some of your disparate interests and and kind of allows you to do various things yeah because I think well it's it's clear we've been telling stories since before the wheel right like this is how we communicate with each other and cognitively and doing the research from getting my phd much more information is retained when it's presented in like a narrative format when you can say okay so one day i woke up and then i did this and then i went here and then i did this like that is much like we speak in that way as opposed to just like you know getting to the chase or getting to the point or just saying the punchline. um there's something about the storytelling format that just allows us to grasp information so much better. Um, and when we're allowed to do that through this lens of performance now, as in pro wrestling, like we were talking about in, with um, Banks and Bel Air, like it's, you can see how each piece, each move is sets up the next. And that is very much just like your traditional storytelling arc for narrative development, right? You have your call to action, you have inciting incidents, you have a rise of complications that make things worse and worse. And then you see the end, you see death, you see the protagonist failing until, right? And then you see the rise up again, and then you have that climax and then a denouement, which, you know, more of like that cigarette at the end, where you know you're able to just have that reflective moment and look back at everything that you've done where you know your ordinary world is now different it's you have a different look now and so being able to see that through a squared circle and those ropes it's beautiful and i love doing that and it's not any different than the way we tell brands and the way we tell stories in that way you know like what do you stand for what does this represent stories i think are they we're able to hold symbols hold signs, hold meaning. And that's what people grasp to, you know, it's confidence. I mean, Nike, just do it. That is a story in and of itself. And it's one of empowerment and confidence. Just do it. Have you have the agency within yourself. You are capable and, and the, and how that is, how that is demonstrated through any of our stories of what would make someone like pick up some Nikes and yeah, you know what? Yeah. I am going to run one extra lap today because I can, you know, like just do it because him and Han, you could have had it been over with now. Right. <laughs> so just do it. And so it's stories, you know, it's, I think it's, it's so, so, so powerful regardless of space and industries because it's ways that people communicate. Cause again, this is the people business and seeing mm -hmm. that illustrated in pro wrestling and in sports period is, is part of, part of why I like, and still watch regularly because yeah. it's going to be different a little bit every time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Sam, I imagine I'm, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you for a second because I imagine because so Sam will be able to explain his own PhD super like um, 
project to Tanisha, but like, but basically storytelling is what you do. So yeah, I wonder if you had any further thoughts about this storytelling element as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, so I'm, I'm studying storytelling specifically in independent wrestling um, and, and more specifically British independent wrestling. Um, and that sort of academic research is informed by my role running Wrestling Resurgence, which is the, the company that Claire and I sort of co-founded. And yeah, and, and I, a lot of my work is sort of auto-ethnographic, reflective. It, it sort of draws on that direct experience of working with, with wrestlers in the creative process to create stories, to um, not necessarily plan matches, but have a role mm-hmm. in kind of setting the parameters for matches and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of struck like when you were talking about um, the the characters changing, that, 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 that moment of change at the end of the match and thinking about Britt Baker and that conversation we just had about Britt Baker and how, you did, like you said, the, you know, the T-shirts were, were on sale within a matter of days. But that's, that, and that really strikes to one of the, I guess one of the things that I think is quite unique about wrestling is that there was a, a huge amount of uncertainty and a lot of... Um, a lot of potential in a wrestling match for the for what for the outcome to be determined in the process of, of making and performing the match, not beforehand. They probably haven't, you know, Tony Khan's not sat down and said, we're gonna have a t-shirt with a bloody brick Blaker face, or <laughs> you know, Durant, it's the Ronda Rousey. Yeah. So there's Cheers. this sort of potential and this agency that wrestlers have to be able to tell their own stories in their own way to a certain degree, which I think is remarkable given that how wrestling is such a on structurally wrestling is so simple but it's there's so many different possibilities that can come off something that's so improvised and so kind of spontaneous and reactionary um so yeah i wondered what i wondered actually what your because i know you worked with a wrestling company um maverick wrestling Mm -hmm. so i wondered what your whether you could kind of tell us a little bit about that process of actually you know taking this um doctoral research that you've been doing your wider interest in kind of sports and media and social media and how that was, um, how that kind of came out when you started working with Maverick and that sort of process. Yeah, because you're absolutely right with with the Britt Baker and and you know the t-shirts with her bloody face on it. Because yeah, I'm guaranteed there was <laughs> that shirt. You know that that was just a great graphic artist was like, this is a moment. It's hot. It's trending right now. This is a thing. And it, that's where you know that's why this is such a social listening thing where we have to start to pay attention and use these types of you know platforms as a like, hey, what do you like right now? Okay, cool. Like we never know when those things are gonna happen, and that improbability or it predict the lack of being able to project and know what's going to happen is, is, is fantastic. And even through loss, she lost that match, but she won everything in that match. Right. So it's not, it doesn't matter wins and losses in that regard and stories still don't really matter. You know, I mean, Rocky lost in the first one. It's fine. Like, but it, Hey, franchise still, still to make it still won. Right. You can lose. You can win through losing, you know, and that's the power of story and how that stuff is still is still able to uh, to come out of it different in the end. You know, that's why it's an ordinary world. This is how I woke up today, but how it ended can be drastically different. And you're now more informed. And so I think with Maverick Wrestling, it was awesome. And so we haven't had a show because of COVID yet still. And so it's all still just, you know, different rules and regulations. And in California, because we're working out of like the Southwest, predominantly always in LA. um, But a lot of our talent travels from like that whole Southwest area, Las Vegas, Arizona, 
California, some even coming down from Denver. Like we've had Marty the Moth come in and have some cool matches with Killer Cross, who technically is still our heavyweight champion. <laughs> and while he's still even now like NXT champ, so we'll have to figure that out um, when we do a show again. And Chris Bay, like he's our revolutionary champ. Um, and, you know, now still always an impact too. So the, the talent that we've had there is amazing. And we always just, like you said, try and just help empower that type of agency. And I'm always reminding our talent and, and our bookers, Paul London. Um, and so he's been awesome and, and is, the talent loves working with him and really respects him and, and in working together when getting matches and stuff together, it's always still just reminding folks to just activate that level of awareness and listening to the crowd and listening to each other and feeling things out and like that dance aspect, you know, where it's, you can start to see and feel and go a certain way. And when in booking certain spots and then, you know, having everything in the middle, just be jazz, you know, and getting there. And, and, but that's an act, that's a, that's a level of awareness, right? You have to know, you have to be confident that, and in your own ability to be aware of what's going on and when something is happening, you know, being patient. Cause we've seen a lot of folks, you know, when things just look kind of rushed or spotty, like I didn't like the Ripley uh, Oscar match at WrestleMania. No. I was just like, okay. <laughs> like I just, it, it just felt too, it just looked rushed and kind of spotty. And I just, I just didn't, it didn't work for me. I don't think they were patient enough or I don't know if there just wasn't enough time that, or that they were allowed or whatever the case may be, it didn't come up. I didn't like it. Um, and so with Maverick, we're always trying to, you know, be fan favorites and our, our local crowd um, is they're diehard. The fan base in Southern California is just always, always hungry and they you know give everybody goosebumps and an extra pop when they come through our curtain um and so yeah it's just a level of awareness that paul london and our owner brandon Fakara and myself and everybody else in the maverick team um and talking to our talent it's like we believe in you you guys kick ass you men and women you know like let's do this we've had um so many great so many great um legends coming in we had bob holly and killer cross once and it was just super fun to watch that and have the crowd even who some i would i would venture majority didn't know who bob holly was because they're so young but they remember they recognize like okay that's probably you know like that's hardcore holly bro like so some get it and 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 then there's just seeing still even like the respect that Cross gave him, they recognize like, okay, this is somebody of importance. So it's that taking that pause, that breath sometimes that gives fans in crowd and at away, even watching at home for, you know, televised shows that would be like, okay, this is a moment. This is a beat. Take that beat. And that's you know storytelling it's 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 about all of those different pieces and looking at what environment that you have like if it's you know closed circuit in-house how you know dark event or something that's televised how you can use what is at your disposal what's in you have the context of controlling to aid your storytelling and so that's stuff that we're always talking about and how to you know amplify our our events and our experiences and we're excited and hopefully you know going to try and do something get back out there again. Cause we're all our Twitter account. Everybody's like, where are you? <laughs> like, we want this back and stuff. So we're, 
we're itching to get back out there and, and making shows again. And hopefully we'll do so by, by the beginning of next year. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I wonder um, a little follow-up question because of where you're based. Um, when did you, obviously you, you talked about Maverick, but when did you start getting into like indie wrestling specifically? Because Southern California is kind of really kind of pivotal in the history of American mm-hmm. independent wrestling. And you look at like AEW and so much of what, is kind of at the top of AEW came from Pro Wrestling Gorilla, which yeah. is Southern mm-hmm. California. And it's Southern, the Southern California style is, you know, that kind of fusion with Lucha is stuff yep. that you see all the time in AEW. So yeah, I wondered mm-hmm. whether what your kind of background independent wrestling wise was. I didn't really get into it that much until like maybe I moved to LA in 2008. So I would say probably a little bit after that is when I started paying attention to it a little bit because then, you know, I had the internet and just I was able to kind of now start to understand because it was always more regionally, like I would look at OBW, I would hear about that. Um, and there were, I remember in the, the 90s and early 2000s, there were these cool stores that had all these VHS tapes of OBW history or in, in the Midwest or in the East and South and these different territories and old VHS tapes. And I was like, oh my God, like old ECW stuff. And I was just like, man, this is great. And I would get all of those. So I was cognizant that there were indie promotions, but I didn't really dive into it from like, a not well, I was going to say mainstream, but getting into it greater until probably like 2010, 2012 and stuff. And then I started seeing like, oh, wow. Okay. So this person came from here. And then, cause then I was just much more curious about, cause that at that time too, I also got sick of WWE. Like I was just like, I don't, I'm not a giant, like CM Punk person. So that, that, that was like, uh, okay. Like, so there were periods where I didn't watch where I didn't watch wrestling for you know, for a few years and I would only pay attention. Like if somebody texts me or like, Oh, did you know this happened? And I was like, yeah, I really don't care. And there wasn't an alternative. And so, but I still had that kind of itch um, to watch. So that's when, yeah, I would just go on the internet and start to look up old videos. Um, like you said, from like pro wrestling gorilla um, and uh, what is it? SoCal think I think like socalwrestling.com like they always have a calendar of events and stuff and so it wasn't until I started going to indie matches until like I went to a few when I was in San Diego because there were a couple down there that was awesome and outdoor venues and it was fun and I was like this is really really cool and then when the wrestler came out the movie with Mickey Mm -hmm. Rourke a lot of folks were like oh my god this is this that's still out there I'm like yeah. <laughs> so when he won that Academy Award, I think he won for that, right? Yeah. Um, some folks were like, oh my God, like you have to take me. Like, I want to see it. It's, it's probably really, really sad though. Like old guys like that in the in a high school gym, like really? And I'm like, but it's fun. <laughs> so I started going um, probably like 2016, 17 around in LA, um, like Gorilla, um, also then seeing oh what is it something else with an r not bar rest bar wrestling um but something else with an r is it revolt rev can't even remember nah can't remember but yeah i started going again in la that that whole that region um yeah in the late teens of of Mm -hmm. 2000 and because yeah it's a whole nother animal and so i love wrestling is one of those things i love watching people watch it for the first time you know like a horror movie like you know what to expect and so your whole time you're just like 
And you're just looking at them <laughs> watch it. Like I love doing that. And so I remember before I started, it's how I actually even got introduced to to Maverick. A friend of mine used to work with the owners and I, and I didn't know this. I took her to a Maverick show and like fold up chairs, the whole thing, you know, and I was, and I was like kind of warning her in the car. I was like, okay, look, it's not going to look like you see on TV. It's going to look more like the wrestler, like the movie. And then she's like, okay, okay, okay. She's, she's a tennis fan. So that's all she watches is tennis. So I was like, okay, listen, like, this is what you're going to expect. And then she was just like, ah, like screaming the whole time. It was hilarious. I love it. And then she's seeing like five, six, seven year old kids, like, yeah, here, but cheering. Then she was like, oh my God, that was you. And I was like, yeah, see, like it's a thing. And so I loved that experience and I will always take every opportunity to take someone to any level of, of wrestling that you have to see it live to really kind of understand it but it is certainly one of those things where i like watching people watch it for the first time and especially at the indie level now too because now there's just so much empowerment and you are able to still have a successful career outside of wwe and I think that's really, really important. So I am all for like IWTV and other markets where you can see wrestling and subscribe to it um, at an indie level to support them because they're, we should be able to have much more success without having to, as some sell their soul, <laughs> right? And going to, going to WWE. Yeah. Yeah. I also really like watching people who don't yeah. watch wrestling. <laughs> Awesome. I think it's like, so we do quite a lot of this with resurgence over the years. Like it's been really good fun, like to, it's so to watch, fun. like bring, especially. So I don't know what you think, Sam, but especially like bringing theatre people to wrestling uh -huh. is always like extremely cool to watch. To watch theatre, like people who would normally be the theatre scholars or theatre practitioners, playwrights, you know, um, come along, dancers come along to watch mm -hmm. wrestling. I always think that's particularly. Um, mm -hmm particularly cool <laughs> yeah because the, the whole time too she was like did that hurt no like, yeah. i'm just like D what do you think like can i hit you with this and they're like oh, ah, ah. like just the questions you know you have yeah. to have you have to enjoy it because you know you're gonna i'm sure you've been bombarded with the questions during and like so what does that mean and blah, blah blah but even then after i just shut up and let her watch and i'm just watching her like she would get it she's like oh she's the bad guy that's the good oh, okay so we're rooting for her and like i'm like all right you're getting this so it's it's definitely fun and interesting and yeah people should do it at indie you know definitely go go and support when we can and and when it's safe to do so you know i know every part of the world is different right now with this stuff so but maverick yeah we're super excited like and i'm just we're always constantly thinking like okay how can we do this kind of safely and, and what are we what are we going to do and how's it going to look like and it's going to be louder and better than ever hopefully yeah yeah, that's really cool. Um, I'm, I'm conscious of taking up your entire morning straight evening. <laughs> Listen, we're talking. I forget. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, no. It's, yeah, I know. You what, have what, five six? <laughs> <laughs> he has destroyed so many napkins under me and have like put a hole in my, my thing. I've got holes now. He just won't stop. He's like, stop talking. <laughs> oh, well, it's certainly maybe, maybe, maybe he's totally giving us like, like it's time to go. Um, but <laughs> maybe, uh, could you just sort of share with, with everyone, like um, places that people could find out more about your work and about you? Um, yeah. Could you plug, plug all that stuff? Before sure. We... Yeah. Um, most of my reports and some media appearances, I have to update it, but my website, TunisiaSingleton.com um, on Twitter is where you'll find me at T Singleton says, and that will be a mix of, 
highbrow intellectual genius and then also live tweeting all sporting events uh some random lyrics from like two shorter dmx songs and then always pictures of my puppy who you can also (laughs) follow i made his own account uh at cleophis user king on twitter um yeah, but that's mostly Twitter and, and my website is where you can get in, in touch with me. Um, all my background and some presentations and the academic stuff is there too. And my podcast itself is called I Have Questions. That on Twitter um, is IHQPod and that website, IHaveQuestionsPodcast.com. Um, second season is going to be launching next month on a whole new podcast network called 19 Media Group. So super excited about that. And that podcast very much kind of like this. We freestyle, have different guests on. We're talking about sports and society. It's all about where culture and conversation collide and looking at the things that keep us sane and entertained at the same time. Great. Oh, this has been such a brilliant conversation. Yeah. I thought it would- we could go on. I know. I'm just like, oh, I'm like, <laughs> um, just so conscious. They're like, you have a dog to take outside. And this poor that dog is fine. Is going, is fine. Catch it from his walk. Uh, but yeah, like it's just amazing to be able to spend the time with mm. you and to hear all this incredible insight. And I thank you so much for being so incredibly generous with your time and your energy no problem thank you for having me love being on this platform and thank you for sharing it with me yeah Yeah, maybe that maybe in the future when the world's back together there might be some kind of maverick resurgence crossover yes please (laughs) absolutely let's do it great um cool Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was fun. Oh. I know. We'll have to do it again. Definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think, feel like we've still got a million things to talk about. Yeah. So. yeah this, <laughs> I'm this, sure this more. So Thank you so much. Tanisha. No it's problem. So awesome. Fun. Yeah. Well, cool. I will look out for it. And it's everywhere, right? Like I can, I haven't even subscribed yet. I need to do that. Yeah. It's Apple and, and uh, yeah. Spotify, all the places. Yeah. Cool. This is the first one for a while. We've had a bit of a hiatus. And, sure. But- the busyness of life got in the way. <laughs> Puppies, life, everything just gets in the way sometimes. I don't Pandemics. I feel you. Pandemics, murder yeah. hornets. Yeah, yeah, no big. All that stuff. All that stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. both. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, no problem. Great to, great to actually meet you properly and to have a conversation. Likewise. Cool. Likewise. We'll share one hopefully one day soon. I will look forward to that very much. Um, cool. All right, everyone. See you later. Thank you for listening to the episode. For more episodes, including interviews with Spike Trevay, Gene Money, and Charlie Evans, search Grappling Arts on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube.